Welcome to Ottawa Valley Community Church, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. last week, uh, we began a series called Why Church? Um, Sort of asking uh, questions about the relevance of the church, kind of rediscovering um, the purpose of it, rediscovering the core reason for our existence. Why do we uh, invest in uh, this time that we spend every week? Why do we come out of our homes? Why do we gather? What's the purpose of it? And how might we be uh, transformed through it? How might we be a little bit more committed to it? There are things inside of us and things in our culture uh, that are a a little bit resistant, right? Uh, We feel that resistance on Sunday morning when we're trying to decide to go. Uh, We think, oh man, uh, I'm not sure I want to get out of bed. I think it would be just fine for me to watch online this week. Um, We feel uh, like, I'm going to have to explain what I did this weekend to my coworkers, and nobody in our culture understands church and what it's all about and why we're doing it. So there's just these dynamics uh, in culture, we talked about them in more detail last week, uh, that make it challenging for us to come and understand this thing, uh, be committed to it, and to articulate why we're committed to it to our friends. And so part of the purpose here is to, uh, to just... Uh, shore up that foundation, like, like why are we doing this? And, and that's always a good question to ask yourself, right? Um, what we looked at last week uh, from the book of Ephesians was uh, Paul speaking to uh, that church and just saying, hey, there's, there's this mystery. Uh, there's something that God has been keeping as a secret. He's, he's been hiding it like a magic trick, like, like, like nobody knows until this moment how the trick actually works. But I want you to be clear uh, the, the way I'm revealing my wisdom to the world, uh, both on earth and the heavens, it's, it's through the church. Um, make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, uh, that now through the church, the wisdom uh, of God is made known uh, to everybody in, in heavenly places and on earth. And so there's this, uh, this amazing sort of uh, overarching purpose of the church that we exist to somehow uh, declare who God is to the world and to declare who God is in the heavenlies. And that word, we, we camped out on that word administration, uh, speaks to something really practical. It speaks to uh, the, the, the how and the why, the mechanics of why we're doing this. And it's the place where we get in the, elsewhere in the New Testament the word ministry. Um, And and so what we've done in terms of breaking up this series is we've broken those three areas of our ministry, our administration of the mystery of God, our administration of bringing glory to the world into these three categories, our ministry to God, um, our ministry to one another, and our ministry to the world. And that's reflected in the vision statements of so many churches. It's in Calvary's vision statement right on your website. We talked about this last week. Connect with God, connect with people, connect with the world. Uh, on our website, encounter Jesus, be transformed, share his love, upward, horizontal, and outward, right? So we've got these three focuses, these three purposes, these three ministries, these three really practical things that we do that we're called to do, these three purposes. Um, and we see that in the, the book you see uh, up there is a systematic theology by Wayne Grudem. It's just one of the standard systematic theologies that's uh, taught in, uh, in all kinds of different Bible schools and training institutions. So it's really sort of that three-fold structure, something that's really foundational to the training that like thousands and thousands of, of pastors get. So it's just a, a, just a foundational piece. 
What I wanted to do is just take a minute though, when we think about those three ministries, those three focuses is, uh, just as a side note almost, we, we need to really have those three things in balance as people. How many of you, if you look at that list, maybe have a favorite, right? Or, or maybe an area in which, you know, your gifting is particularly aligned, right? Uh, if your favorite is, is ministry to God, you just love to worship, but you hate sitting through a Bible study, right? Or you just love to worship, but evangelism terrifies you. That, that might describe where uh, a ton of us are at, right? But here's the thing, is if we become imbalanced in these areas as, as a church or even as individuals, there's all kinds of things that can go wrong in our lives. We want a church that does worship but doesn't do deep discipleship and doesn't do mission, right? We can get flaky and we can begin to exist, to believe that the church exists uh, for us. We can, believe to begin, we can begin to believe uh, a prosperity mentality that it just exists to make my life better and I'm just going to have a great worship experience and life is going to be grand. Right? And churches that have just purely that sort of worship focus without discipleship, without mission, uh, can tend to drift that way. Uh, if you're a church that does discipleship and teaching, but doesn't do worship, doesn't have a sense of we're going after the glory of God, and doesn't have a sense of mission, we're going to care for the poor, we're going to do evangelism, well, you can get pretty confident about all the knowledge that you have, all of the stuff you know. You can become really locked in a religious mind frame. You can become uh, unhealthy in that way, right? And you miss out on the other things. And if you're a church that does mission, uh, but doesn't do discipleship, doesn't know the word, um, and, uh, and doesn't do worship, then, then you can drift into sort of a liberal humanism, right? You can drift into a place where um, it's all about you, and it's all about your mission, but you're, you're not really uh, deep in theology. You're not really deep in uh, grounded in terms of your knowledge of the scriptures, and you're not really having a sense that, hey, there's a, there's a vertical relationship with God that I need to take care of. So we really need all of those things uh, present in our lives. Even though we may start with favorites, even though we may have one that's aligned with our giftings, we need to be people who are growing and maturing and, and becoming stronger in each of those things. So just as we go through the series, let's remember that. You're going to have your favorite, but the Lord is probably speaking to you about the one you don't like as much, right? Like it's really I like that sermon, that really connected. That's probably the one that you're good at. That sermon, they're like, ah, that one didn't really jive with me. That's probably the one you really needed to hear, right? That's kind of how, how that works for us, right? So just, just keep that in mind. Uh, so where we're at in the series, excuse me, I'm just going to grab my, my water here. Good job, sound guys. Um, you should get feedback if I walk by the mic. Well done. Um, yeah, so uh, there's a, a shift that needs to, to happen. We talked about that last week. And the first one we're talking about this week is a shift from consumption to glorification. A shift from consumption to glorification. I'm going to unpack what that means for us. Uh, very often uh, you'll hear people sort of in the theological blogosphere, churchy world talking about uh, the consumer church and, and the dangers of us becoming a consumer church. And I just want to unpack that for you so we understand. You've heard me use the language before, but I want to uh, just, just unpack it. As we emerge from the pandemic, we have a chance to sort of reset our DNA. We have a chance as our two bodies are getting to know one another and coming together, we have a chance to make a posture shift in how we're oriented as people. A really uh, important and kind of a fun book, actually, on the subject is this book, um, How Churches Became Cruise Ships, uh, by a guy named Sky Athani. How Churches Became Cruise Ships. 
Um, and and he, he just is describing uh, the history of how consumerism sort of entered into the church. And he says this, the logic was simple. And he's talking about this is something that happened with the baby boomer generation. If the baby boomers did not feel the need to connect with God, then perhaps another felt need uh, would draw them into the church. The need for community or entertainment or help with their children and marriages. And while they consumed uh, the upbeat music and therapeutic sermons, I promise you my sermons aren't very therapeutic, uh, therapeutic sermons, uh, the hope was that they'd find God as well, right? So we'll, we'll, we'll do a more entertaining, we'll do a more flashy, we'll do uh, kind of a better uh, service, we'll have a nicer lobby in our church, and I'm not against any of those things. I think it's really good uh, to do uh, church and to do it well and to have a building that's well cared for and vacuum the carpets and turn on the lights and all of those sorts of things we do. Uh, but, but there can be a way in which that consumer culture church thing goes over the top. Uh, this is a church, the church uh, sort of on your bottom corner there, um, that is um, Harvest Church in Billings, Montana. That's their Sunday school area. <laughs> a water slide park. Uh, I mean, if you're going to Sunday school, and if your kid goes there one week, you, I promise you, your kid wants to go there the next week, right? So, I mean, that's maybe taking consumer church one step far. This other church is a church in Dallas, Texas, and you can see that this is their front lobby, and you go through those doors and up into their sanctuary, um, and that's just this massive aquarium that's built in their lobby that says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And that's Inspiring Body of Christ Church in South Dallas. And the pastor's name is Ricky Rush. And I just wish I was that cool. Um, <laughs> we, don't really, we don't really mock or make fun of other churches or communities. I'm sure it could be just a beautiful community. But uh, it speaks to this sort of consumer mentality in North American culture where uh, we're going to church, we're going to connect, um, but we might not uh, be connecting exactly for the right reasons. Alan Hurst says it like this, whether we choose it or not, almost all expressions of church in the West are vulnerable to consumerism and the non-discipleship and spiritual passivity that follows. The problems noted are rooted in the profoundly self-centric assumptions that guide us. Uh, there are assumptions that we make as leaders, um, assumptions that, that church people make as they're thinking about, are they going to attend? Uh, you want an experience that will meet your needs, and we want to provide an experience that will meet your needs, right? We, we actually want to do that. We, we want to uh, really care for you. We really want to uh, see that you have a great encounter with Jesus. We really want to have good kids' church programs, all of that. But it leaves out the question, what does God want from us? What does God want from us? Why are we really doing this? Uh, we, we sort of come and say, hey, did the church uh, check our boxes for today? How was worship? How did the sermon make me feel? Uh, did anyone talk to me? Uh, were there kids there for my kids to play with? Did the message help me with my problems? And, and we really, actually as leaders, we really want to be able to answer those questions with a resounding yes. We really want you to have uh, good worship. We really want uh, the sermon to make you feel uh, good. We want you to be uplifted. We really want you to have community and people talking to you and all of that. Um, but there's also 
a risk if we have those ideals at the center of why we do church, that it will create inside of us a passivity. And passivity just simply cannot drive discipleship. It cannot drive growth. It cannot drive change. It cannot drive transformation in your life. The only thing that can do that is really a heart of worship, a desire uh, to know and imitate Jesus is what drives us deep. A desire to know and celebrate and imitate Jesus has to be at the center of what we do. Uh, Eugene Peterson says this, he says, we're a nation of consumers. Obviously, the quickest, most efficient, effective way to get consumers into our congregation is to identify what they want and offer it to them. So we have recast the gospel in consumer terms. Entertainment, personal satisfaction, excitement, uh, problem solving, or whatever it is. But this is not the way. We become less, and Jesus becomes more. This is not the way we become less, and Jesus becomes more. He must increase. We must decrease. What if God is the one with the checklist? Not to drive us into religion, not to drive us into performance. But what if God has things that he wants to see happen in the life of the church that uh, we uh, didn't notice that that he wanted to see happen? Uh, What if God is asking, did they see more of who I am today? Did they notice uh, my beauty? Did they notice what I've done for them on the cross? Did that touch their hearts? Uh, did they have something happen in this week, and did, and did they come to give thanks to me for that thing that happened uh, in their life? Did they come to give me praise? Did they sing it back to me, and did they reflect my goodness back to creation? Uh, did they pour out their hearts? Did they uh, release their uh, sort of emotional um, reserve and actually connect with me heart to heart? Did my words penetrate? And did my words convict them? Did my words bring transformation in their lives? Will they make better decisions having been at church than they would have made if they hadn't been there? Are they changed? What if God has that kind of checklist for us? What if the purpose for church isn't just our own growth, our own um, enjoyment, our own glory. Uh, You see the lyrics on the screen of of this incredible, incredible hymn, In Christ Alone. In Christ Alone who took on flesh. When we worship, when we sing, when we praise God, uh, when, when those lyrics are sort of blasting past us and the band is playing, is there something in us that catches a lyric and says, In Christ Alone, and we go, Oh man, there are so many other things that have my attention. Are we drawn to repentance? Who took on flesh fullness of God and helpless babe? Holy smokes, my mind just went to Christmas. I can't believe that the entirety and the beauty of who God is was contained in a baby in a manger. What an incredible mystery. It takes me to Hebrews uh, 1.3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by his power. Imagine that when we sing that lyric, we all of a sudden realize that that helpless babe holds the universe by the word of his power. 
We, we, should, we should have something in our hearts that just absolutely must praise, absolutely must reflect, absolutely must glorify. And the risk is, for many of us, and for me too, especially as a pastor, I'm the most critical person in the world when it comes to these things. A part of me can be saying, oh man, I sure wish we had a drummer. Right? It's, it's like being a little Lego guy. <laughs> and, you know, I'm trying to wag the, this giant God and make him be what I want him to be and meet my needs the way I want them met. And I'm not noticing that he is simply to be praised and worshipped and noticed and glorified and seen for who he is. So the proposal uh, in this message, what we're really trying to get down to is the idea that if we lay down consumerism and reorient ourselves around gathering for the purpose of glorifying Jesus Christ, not only, like, is that an end in itself? Not only is that, like, if we never got anything out of it, if we were never encouraged by worship, if we never received uh, anything of joy from this experience, if, if, we never, if it was like a total dud for us, and we just praised and glorified God, it would be a totally worthwhile, worthy experience. It would be worth us doing that simply for him, because of who he is. But the proposal that I'm going to make is that if we do that, if we let go of consumerism, if we let go of our needs, uh, we'll actually still end up with a far more joyful church experience anyway. It's just the reality of the way it works. I'm going to, it's going to take a minute for me to do that, but I want to show that to us in the scriptures. Um, this is our idea, giving God glory is the purpose for which we're made and called to be people. That's the first thing I want us to connect with. This idea of glorifying God, it's a foundational thought. It's actually what you were made for, and you're actually going to be more joyful when you're in alignment with the purpose for which you're created. You're actually going to be more joyful. And I just want to show you how that purpose uh, undergirds everything that we are right from the book of Genesis. Uh, God said in, in Genesis 1.26, then let us make man in our own image, after our own likeness. How amazing is it that the creator of the universe somehow made you and me to look like him so that everybody could somehow have some idea of what he looks like. The reason for your form, the reason for your bodily form, the reason for your intellect, the reason for your mind, the reason for your capabilities, the reason for your existence as a human being in the community of human beings is so that people will see and know a little bit about what God is like. Uh, we're jumping ahead to Isaiah 43, 20 to 21. And this is going to sound so counterintuitive to us because we just teach and teach and teach and teach that God just loves you for you. Uh, but listen to this. I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people. He's giving. He's generous. You're a chosen person. Uh, to my chosen people, whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. He formed you and gave you water in the desert and provides for you 
that you might declare his praise. Isaiah 43, 7, just backing up a couple of verses. God's heart to gather us. God's heart to bring his church together. God's heart to bring his people together. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I've made. Created for his glory. Isaiah 48, uh, for my name's sake, I defer my anger. Uh, For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I might not cut you off. For my own sake, I do it. Why should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. God's salvation, God's redemption, God's uh, desire to bring his people and show them love and show them that he is including in them and showing them that he loves them is to show the world uh, that the community of people that are surrounded by God, that call themselves by his name, are loved by him so that they will know when they see the mercy that's poured out on us, the world will know that God is who he is, a God of love. He loves us so the world will know that he's a lover. Right? So the world will know that he's a lover. Ezekiel 36. And this is in the middle of of an incredible uh, time of difficulty in the life of Israel. An an incredible time of it being an apostate nation. And here's something from Ezekiel where he foreshadows, where he prophesies about the coming of Christ and the existence of the church. Thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act. I'm about to deliver you, but it's not for your sake that I'm about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations, where you went. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. So we profane God's name all the time. And he has got a way of vindicating it. He's got a way of vindicating himself among the nations. And here it is. For I will take from you, take you from the nations, and I will gather you from all lands. And now we go forward and we see him talking about the coming of the church. He's prophesying forward. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you will be clean I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And all of a sudden, we're in Acts 2. All of a sudden, we're in Acts 2, where the Holy Spirit is being poured out on the church. It is not for your sake, though, O house of Israel, but for my holy name. The existence of the church is for his holy name, for his glory that he might be known. And we see this again in the New Testament Ephesians. And this is, remember, we're taking so much of our theology of the church from Ephesians. We spent a fair bit of time in there. Ephesians chapter 1, 5, 12, and 14. He's laying down the theology of how he gets to the place where he says, to him be glory in the church. This great mystery is being revealed that I'm going to reveal myself to the world through the church. He says this, he predestined us in love to be his sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will 
to the praise of his glory, through the praise of the glory of his grace. The praise of the glory of his grace. Uh, Ephesians 12, or sorry, yeah, Ephesians one twelve. We who first hoped in Christ have been predestined and appointed to live for the praise of his glory. Ephesians uh, verse 1, verse 14, the Holy Spirit, again, the coming of the Holy Spirit has this purpose. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And in all three cases, that word praise uh, means to verbally laud and commend. To verbally laud and commend. To say, hey, everybody, notice that God is good. He is holy. He is mighty. He is righteous. He is generous. He is kind. He is loving. Praise him. Praise his glory. To verbally uh, laud and commend. And, and then in the writers of Strong's Dictionary, sometimes there's this beautiful color added. Concretely and completely. That we would exist for the praise of his glory. Completely and concretely. Now that leaves a question for us, all of us. This idea that God is... Um, Doing all of this to bring glory to himself is a question that's often sort of asked, um, maybe even in a university setting. If that is who God is, if he's all about his own glory, um, isn't that just selfish ego? Is he some kind of self-serving, egotistical God? That he just wants everybody to praise him. He wants all this attention. Like, what kind of God is that? Why would I serve a God who's so self-centered? Why would I serve a God who's a narcissist? Right? Questions to grapple with. Um, is that just who he is? And, and the first thing uh, we want to say to those questions is that it is okay for him to be convinced that he's the center of the universe because he's the center of the universe. He is the center of the universe. That is our reality. It is simply a a reality, it's simply a true that he is the best thing since sliced bread. He is the best thing long before sliced bread. He is the best thing. It is true. It is the way the world truly is. It would be just utterly foolish for us as humans to imagine that the world is meant to revolve around ourselves. Utterly foolish for me to feel like the world uh, revolves around me. So that's the first thing we say. But but there's there's so much more to it than that. Like that argument comes can come across as well. Suck it up, Buttercup. God is God, and you are not. Live with it, right? And that's actually true. We actually do have to live with it. He is God, and we are not, and we have to live with it. That is that is absolutely the truth. But uh, my proposition earlier was this. In calling us to lay down our lives, uh, to give our time, our intention, our energy into giving glory to him is actually also the best thing we can do for us. It's actually the best thing we can do for us. It is not selfish for God to call us to glorify him. It is actually the most loving thing possible. 
he wants the best and most beautiful and lovely life for us. And what he knows is that the best and most beautiful and most lovely thing is himself. If we go after him, we get the best. We get his love. We get his beauty. We get his character. We get his radiance. We get his power. We get his might. And it is so much better than anything we can create or generate for ourselves. C.S. Lewis uh, really spoke about this, um, not just the, the fact that we get to delight in God, not just the fact that we uh, get to uh, experience him, not just that we get to know him, but actually how important it is for us to express it. He says this, he says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy, and we, and we do, we love to praise and, and we are thankful for the things that we enjoy. Uh, because the praise is not merely... Uh, it not merely expresses, but it completes the enjoyment. Praise completes the enjoyment. It is a pointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight in one another is incomplete until it has been expressed. That we actually get delight and joy and a sense of confirmation and a, and a consummation and a sense of fulfillment in our relationship with God if we actually let the words of praise come out of our mouths. It's not meant to be just an internal joy. It's not meant to be just a, an internal delight. It's not meant to be just an internal praise and an honoring of him. Your life as a human being, your life as a worshiper, uh, is not complete until you've come on a Sunday morning and you've gathered with the people of God and you've heard them singing the same things you were singing about the praise and glory of God. That is a consummation. That is a completeness. The reason we worship is to bring closure, completeness, and fullness to the reality of who God is. We complete the loop within ourselves. And we actually also find rest in it and we find peace in it. A Christian worship offers refreshing reprieve from the religion of self. Uh, as we abandon the pressure that comes with trying to find comfort, fulfillment, satisfaction, and pleasure for ourselves, we find relief. In giving ourselves over to bringing pleasure to God, we, his creatures, come into line with our true purpose. And in the joyous work of giving praise, we find ourselves life. In the joyful work of giving praise, we find life. Uh, Luke 14. And this is the reality of how he created the world. And, and this is what Jesus was trying to teach us. He's trying to point us to this. Luke 14, 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Matthew 16, 25. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life will find it. The only way we will actually have our, lot, our needs met. The only way we will actually be lifted up in any way that has eternal significance, the only way we will actually find ourselves in a place of delight, in a place of glory, is if we humble ourselves and we let go of everything we do to control that outcome. 
The only way we find delight in God is if we let go of all the ways which we try to find delight in ourselves. We lay down our lives, we offer them up, we are willing to lose them. And in that, we actually find them. Uh, I remember sitting in uh, the green room in uh, a conference we were running in Toronto at the time. I was part of a big church there. Um, and I, I, can't, I can't remember it was whether it was one of the guys in Paul Oakley's band or um, in Martin Smith's band, but it was, uh, I think it was the bass player. And we're sitting there, and this is like, um, you know, these are people that are much, much cooler than me, and so I'm trying to be cool and trying to ask them cool questions. And so I asked this guy, I said, so how did you get to be, like, on this worship team? How did you get to be part of this band? How did, how did, how did God take you on that journey? And, he, and he, this guy told him just an amazing story. He said, you know, I, I used to be depressed. I used to be on drugs. I used to take prescription medications to uh, try to find happiness. I used to uh, be in this incredible dark place of constantly trying to adjust my moods and make myself uh, a better person. I, I tried everything I could, and, and I medicated all this pain in my life. I was, I was, uh, I was so lost. And, and he said, a funny thing happened. What I decided to do, and I don't know why I decided to do this, was I, I decided to give up. I decided to stop trying to lift myself out of my problems and just start lifting Jesus up. I'm going to stop all the stuff I'm doing to try to lift myself out of my problems, and I'm just going to start lifting Jesus up. He said, what I committed to do was every time I thought something good about God, or I saw something good about God, or every time I saw something beautiful, uh, what I promised myself I would do is I would just say it. Not just say it in my mind, but I would say it out loud. And I began every time I noticed God, and sometimes I would be talking, uh, walking down the street and talking to myself. Sometimes I would have to go down an alley. He lived in London. Go down an alley and, uh, and just mumble praise. But I kept doing that. I kept noticing uh, the good things about God and just saying them out loud. And eventually, and I don't even know when it happened, I don't even know how it happened. But one day I noticed I wasn't depressed. <laughs> one day I noticed I wasn't on drugs. One day I noticed I wasn't doing the pills. He let go of his effort to fix everything in his life and began to lift up Jesus, began to praise. I'm not telling anyone in here to go off the medication that your prescriber has given to you. But there is something that happens when we begin to praise, when we begin to worship, when we begin to turn our life's purpose away from pleasing and serving and lifting up ourselves and begin to shift our purpose to pleasing and serving and lifting up him. Things tend to go better for us when that happens. In moments of trouble, it might actually even seem impractical to just praise. Like, like I've got so much I've got to deal with. Like, can I really afford the time to go to church this morning? I have so many projects uh, 
that I have to deal with. I've, I've got so many jobs I've had to do. I don't know if I can spend the time. I don't know if I can like get in the car and go to church. It, it just seems impractical. There's people that need something. I don't know why we have this building. Uh, there's so much of a mission outside this uh, place. There's, there's so much that we need to do. Why do we spend all this time and energy and money on, on worship services? Why do we do this? Why, what's the focus? What's the reason for it? Uh, Paul is speaking again to the church in Ephesians. Uh, talking about the urgency of the day, talking about the sense of busyness that we wrestle with. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Yeah, that's wise. I've got to get out there. I've got to, uh, I've got to fix my problems. I've got to do the work that I need to, to do to, to make my life better. Make the best use of time because the days are evil. How are you going to make the best use of time because the days are evil? Paul's leading us somewhere here. Therefore, don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay, I've got a mission for you. I've got something for you to do. Understand what the will of the Lord is for you, what he wants you to do. Don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Don't be a consumer. But be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always, and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world is going to hell in a handbasket. It is urgent times. It is dark times. The days are evil. Use your time wisely. So address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. It's getting bad. We better worship. We can call the worship team up. It's probably good to close with a song today. Right? Are we in trouble? Have we got troubles in our life? Glorify Jesus. Praise Jesus. Return to your purpose. Return to the purpose for which you're created. Praise him. Amen. That is our purpose. That is what we're made for. This thing that we do here, this thing that these guys are going to lead us in. And you can all stand. This is what you were made for. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Community Church, visit ovchurch.ca.